On today's Winning Cures Everything, the Washington offensive coordinator is meeting with Alabama. Nick Saban talks NIL and the transfer portal. Stetson Bennett was arrested in Dallas this weekend. Another new Pac-12 expansion target. The Big Ten commissioner search has officially begun and more. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Can you it's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Welcome back to Winning Cures Everything, where we talk college football news and rumors all year round. I'm Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And this is the Monday, January 30th edition of the show. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that like button. And whether you're watching or listening, hit that subscribe button so you never miss the latest tales from the college football universe. Now, if you're watching, go along. Uh, go ahead and, and toss your city or town in the comments or in the chat. I, I just ask you to do that because I'm curious. I want to know where you guys are where you are consuming the show, uh, which, by the way, thank you for doing that and for sharing it, you know, telling your friends about it, all that. Our new goal is to reach 10,000 subscribers by the end of the 2023 football season. So every like, every share, every subscribe button that's pressed is going to help us get there. We would certainly appreciate that. Uh, Hopefully, you all had a wonderful weekend. Congrats to the Eagles and to the Chiefs on making the Super Bowl. Props to Stetson Bennett for living his best life in Dallas over the weekend. Uh, We'll talk more on that later. And I wanted to go ahead and say cheers to the city of Memphis for not making an awful situation worse over the weekend. Now, this is a college football show. We're not going to talk about politics here, but I am extremely proud to be from this part of the world. I'll just go ahead and say that. Now, let's dive into the show. Going to write our times down. It's been reported by Dogman.com's that Chris Fetters that Washington offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb is in Tuscaloosa today meeting with Nick Saban and Alabama about the Tide's open offensive coordinator position. Now, Grubb was at Fresno State from 2017 through 2021 before he joined Kalen DeBoer at Washington. He's already been given two raises since the end of the regular season. He was bumped to $1.45 million per season after the Apple Cup win over Washington State and then up to $2 million per year after the Alamo Bowl win over Texas. And those raises were supposed to ward off some of the potential suitors uh, like Alabama. Now, if you are an Alabama fan, the scary thing about Grubb is that he has coached under DeBoer basically since 2007 when he joined the coach at the University of Sioux Falls. Now, he then followed him to Eastern Michigan, then to Fresno, and the only season that he did not coach with DeBoer was in 2019, and that was DeBoer's only season at Indiana. Now, he has been the play caller for DeBoer since he returned to Fresno in 2020. This year at Washington, the Huskies ranked number 9 in yards per play with 6.7. They were number 1 in third down conversion percentage at 56.07%. They were number 1 in least percentage of quarterback sacks, 1.09%. Number 1 in punts per play, number 10 in points per play. But 
They were only number 46 in yards per rushing attempt and number 126 in rushing play percentage at 39.65%. I mean, that's less than 40% running the ball. Now, that could be concerning going into the SEC unless Saban knows something that we don't. Now, if Grubb takes the Alabama job, it likely will not be because of money. Grubb was talked to uh, about several head coaching vacancies, and everybody knows that joining Saban's staff is an incredible resume builder. At the end of the day, it's possible that these are two coaches that met to talk about the job, but more so may have just met up to discuss football and philosophy, etc., which a ton of coaches do after the regular season, although, to be honest, not usually right before signing day. Now, if nothing else, Grubb being in Tuscaloosa this week uh, certainly bears watching, especially the week of signing day. So we'll keep an eye on this one, see exactly what ends up happening with that. Let's, uh, let's stay on Nick Saban. Hmm. Let's, uh, let's do that. While there was not much in the way of news this weekend, Nick Saban did turn some heads with comments regarding his stance on NIL and the transfer portal. Now, Saban spoke Thursday night at the 18th annual Alabama Football Coaches Association convention. Uh, that's in Montgomery. And they talked about NIL's impact on recruiting during a Q&A there. Now, he said, someone with one of the best corners in the nation in high school came to me and asked if we would pay them $800,000 for the player to uh, sign here. Now, I told him he can find another place to play, Saban said, according to Steve Norman, who is the head coach at Baker High School in Mobile. Uh, Norman added that Saban said, I'm not paying a kid a bunch of NIL money before he earns it. Now, the ALFCA president, Terry Curtis, confirmed the statement from Saban regarding the transfer portal. Uh, Saban said, we lost 10 players and one starter to the portal this year. One of them wanted $500,000 and for us to get his girlfriend into law school at Alabama and for Alabama to pay for it. Uh, Saban said, I showed him the door. Now, this is all from Curtis. Curtis said he was explaining that this tells you where this NIL and transfer portal are going. I thought he made an excellent point. He said, it's crazy what some kids are asking for. Coach Saban was talking about how frustrating it is to deal with NIL and the portal and how there needs to be some more ground rules. Now, Saban did not name names, but regarding the recruit, it is assumed that he was discussing Carmani McLean, who is the number one cornerback in the nation for the 2023 class out of Lakeland, Florida. McLean first committed to Miami, who's been throwing around NIL money thanks to uh, the booster John Ruiz. McLean decommitted from Miami and committed last week to Deion Sanders in Colorado. Now, regarding the transfer, the only starter that transferred out of Alabama was the offensive lineman uh, left guard Javion Cohen, who ended up transferring to, of all places, Miami. Uh, Cohen started much of the last two seasons at Alabama. So I, what I want to do here is, is kind of break this down. First, I found it a little bit odd about the recruit. Saban said, I'm not paying a kid a bunch of NIL money before he earns it. Now, this is all speculation, of course, because there doesn't appear to be any recordings of Saban saying it. But to put himself in the position of the person that's actually paying the kids is a bit weird, right? Now, looking at the player that wanted $500,000 for his girlfriend to be let into law school on Alabama's dime, none of this is technically NIL, right? Why would a player that's already on the team at Alabama feel comfortable enough to go ask the coach for something like that? Now, it's definitely something to think about as coaches are not supposed to be involved with NIL dealings, although... If we're being honest with ourselves, a lot of them absolutely are involved. But back to the point, this is what coaches have been complaining about. NIL was never supposed to be a recruiting incentive. This was supposed to be the Olympic model. If your name, image, or likeness provided value to a brand or business, they could pay you. Otherwise, you just work to get to the league and make your money there. 
but alas, here we are. Other coaches that were in attendance, by the way, uh, or that were also speakers at the event were Kirby Smart, Sam Pittman, Josh Heupel, and Hugh Freeze. So something to pay attention to. I, a lot of this was weird. A lot of it was weird. Why would Saban put himself in the position of saying, like, I'm not going to pay a kid? Like, that's, that's kind of insinuating that you already have. And there's a lot of rumors and everything else that go around about this, but even still, it's it's a it's a weird spot, weird spot. <laughs> Staying on Alabama, let's uh let, let's talk about the defense coordinator position. Um, now, if the rumors around Nick Saban rehiring Jeremy Pruitt as his next defensive coordinator were not loud enough, Lane Kiffin just threw gasoline on it by tweeting RTR. Uh, over the weekend, it was an acronym for Roll Tide Roll. It's on a, a shared tweet from an Alabama fan account that showed Pruitt buying a new Ford truck at Landers McLarty Ford in Fort Payne, Alabama. Now, for those unfamiliar, Fort Payne is almost directly between Tuscaloosa and Knoxville. If you take I-59 from Birmingham to Chattanooga, it goes right through Fort Payne. Kiffin is notorious for stirring the pot. So this is more of the same. And the location of this Ford dealership really shouldn't tell you anything about Pruitt's uh, future plans. But Chris Lowe did speak on potentials, or excuse me, on uh, on Pruitt's potential hire at Alabama with Ryan Fowler at Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa just last Thursday. He uh, he said, I don't think Nick wants to push this thing way out, but he's continuing to talk to people and having people he trusts weigh in on the process. I think the thing to remember about Jeremy and all coaches in his boat that have been accused of NCAA violations and been fired, uh, and a case is still pending, as it is with Tennessee, is those decisions whether another school wants to hire him are institutional decisions. Now, I'll be honest with you, talking to people who should know, uh, I don't think any decision is coming down on Tennessee or their case for months. I think April or May at the earliest. So if a school, and we won't even say Alabama, if a school wants to hire Jeremy Pruitt right now, you're doing so with so much uncertainty. So I guess the most succinct way to say it is they don't block you from hiring him. It's not like he has been cleared or hasn't been cleared. But if you're going to hire someone who's in the throes of the NCAA issues, they make it awfully painful on you. So Chris Lowe, like myself, believes that the NCAA matter not being resolved is absolutely going to make Nick Saban think longer about this issue than a lot of people imagined he would. Now, another thing to pay attention to is this. Coordinators tend to not move jobs until after signing day. Now, while most players have already signed their letters of intent, uh, coordinators out of respect to the coaches that they're leaving, will hold off to announce a move until after the official signing day. Is it the best way to go about things in regards to the players? Probably not. Is it a good way to not burn bridges with a coach they could end up working with again? Absolutely. So I wouldn't expect any news out of Tuscaloosa until at least Thursday, and that includes with the Ryan Grubb news that, that came down today that he's in Tuscaloosa meeting with Saban. I, I don't think anything official is going to happen until after signing day. Just, just a thought there. Uh, let me go on and tell you this. Winning Cures Everything is brought to you by BetUS. Now, with fast payouts, fantastic customer service, a myriad of options to bet on, and an easy-to-use layout, it's easy to see why it's been America's favorite online sportsbook for nearly 30 years. And right now, you can wager with a $50 free play with no deposit required just by signing up and using the link in the description. So take advantage of the deal. Get signed up over at BetUS, where the game begins. Now, we'll move along. Something interesting happened in Dallas over the weekend. Whew, boy, boy, boy. Uh, let's, let's talk about Georgia. Stetson Bennett was arrested around 6 a.m. Sunday morning in Dallas 
on a public intoxication charge per police. Now, the arrest occurred on Tribeca Way in Old East Dallas as officers were responding to reports of a man randomly banging on doors in the area. That's right. Uh, Police determined that he was intoxicated. He was then arrested and taken to a city detention center. Now, he was released shortly before 11 a.m., WFAA in Dallas confirmed. Bennett did not give a comment. The University of Georgia was asked to comment as well. Neither would speak on the record. Bennett is expected to be taken in this April's NFL draft, but who knows what kind of effect this could have on his draft stock going forward. Let me go ahead and point out, they did not say that he was the guy that was knocking on doors. But he happened to be the only guy that they ran across. And there are some crazy videos going around of, I don't know if he got tackled by police or if they just took him in. I don't know. There's some, there's crazy stuff all over the internet about this. But it is confirmed that he was arrested around 6 a.m. and then was released a little bit before 11 a.m. This is all central time, by the way. So, uh, interesting stuff. Like, uh, we don't know why he was in Dallas. Uh, you don't necessarily need a reason to be in Dallas. Uh, although, you know, it's a weekend. Uh, I'm sure that Stetson has graduated by this point. <laughs> I would I would not imagine that he is doing anything else at Georgia. But uh, I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. So we'll see. Oh, yay, yay. Let's, uh, let's stay on Georgia. There's been a lot of buzz surrounding Georgia offense coordinator Todd Munkin and his possible return to the NFL. Now, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about Munkin interviewing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it was reported this weekend that Munkin also interviewed with the Baltimore Ravens last week. Now, the Ravens parted ways with offense coordinator Greg Roman after the season. Uh, last offseason, Munkin signed an extension with Georgia that made him the highest-paid offense coordinator in college football, but it's becoming obvious that he still has that NFL itch. Now, obviously, he's a coach that loves winning, but Kirby Smart has spoken multiple times about how absurd the college football calendar has become, most notably after offensive line coach Matt Luke retired from college football after Georgia's first national championship following the 2021 season. It, it, let, me, let me rephrase that. It wasn't their first. It was their first since 1980. We'll say that. Yes, it's gotten nuts out there. And if you are a coach that has NFL aspirations, yes, it makes absolutely perfect sense for you to want to go back to the NFL. You don't have to recruit. You don't have to do this year-round thing where you are constantly trying to convince your own guys to stay on the team, etc. Like it's it's just a different ball game. Uh, but the other side of it, Munkin certainly has said in the past, I believe it was right before the Peach Bowl, that he was talking about how much he enjoyed being at Georgia because you win at Georgia and you know you're going to win. Like winning is invaluable. So. We'll see what he ends up doing. If he gets an offer from somebody like the Ravens, you you have to feel pretty good that you're going to win with John Harbaugh and the Ravens. It might be a different story working for Todd Bowles and Tampa Bay, but he is familiar with Tampa Bay. We'll see what ends up going on with that. Now, on the other side, we're going to talk about Pac-12 expansion candidates, the Big Ten commissioner search, the best games for Week 0 and Week 1 in 2023, and more. Let's check out some things you should know about. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, expert game analysis only on the BetUS TV College football channel. 
if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And now... Back to the show. All right. Now, we touched on this last week, uh, but let's expound on some more Pac-12 expansion thoughts. Now, John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News discussed this topic last week on the Paul Feinbaum Show. He, of course, touched on the idea that the Pac-12 needs to act on San Diego State quickly. Now, he stated, I think San Diego State's probably number one because it's a pretty good media market, and also the Pac-12 needs to have a campus in Southern California. That is the prime recruiting territory. If they don't invite San Diego State, the Big 12 probably will. Brett Yormark's made no secret about trying to get schools in the Pacific time zone. So if San Diego State's out there and available, the Big 12 is going to take them. Now that would leave two Big 10 teams in LA and a Big 12 team in San Diego, and that would not be good for Pac-12 recruiting in Southern California. Uh, I think San Diego State is pretty much a must-add. Now, I agree with him about them needing to add San Diego State. The school is close to achieving R1 status as a premier research institution, which would certainly look good to the other administrators in the conference. But the issue of the Big 12 might not be as big of a problem as one might think. Now, I thought the same thing not that long ago, honestly, what, a week ago, week and a half, however long ago it was, uh, because I did have somebody in the YouTube comments jump in and quickly correct me. Uh, But there was a report from late October, early November, that stated the Big 12's new media deal with Fox and ESPN has a pro rata clause that reportedly only applies to P5 schools. Uh, what that means, basically, is the conference is only assured of a raise if they expand with another Power 5 school. So San Diego State, being a G5 school, would not force the pro rata clause to kick in. Now, the pro rata clause about P5 schools only applies to ESPN 63% of the contract, meaning that Fox won't raise their stake at all or at least they're not obligated to. Expansion does not necessarily look like it's on the table for the Big 12 in this media rights cycle unless one of these Pac-12 teams were to leave. So back to the idea of Pac-12 expansion. Now, Wilner brought up San Diego State, which makes sense, but he then brought up another school. Now, his quote from Feinbaum was this, My guess is if they went with a 12th, and they don't have to add a 12th, I don't think, because if you don't have football divisions, you could play with an odd number. But if they do add a 12th, I think SMU might be at the top of the list, Wilner said. 
uh, because I think that they would like to get into Dallas for recruiting and also for the media market just to kind of expand the conference footprint. Now, what a punch in the face this would be to the Big 12. To go and add a school from the same city where the Big 12 offices are located, you know that George Klyovkov would love that. I mean, his his public feud with new Big 12 commissioner Brett Yormark, uh, that makes this all the more likely to me. But here's where I'm questioning it. Uh, the Pac-12 was always hesitant to add BYU because of their religious affiliation. SMU stands, of course, for Southern Methodist University. This would be the first Pac-12 school that I know of that's got any kind of religious affiliation. Now, SMU is a non-sectarian university, meaning it's a secular institution that is not affiliated with or restricted to a particular religious group. But it is an interesting development. SMU is also on the pathway to R1 status, which would help things from the academic side for sure. For the Pac-12, it does make all the sense in the world. I mean, to add San Diego and Dallas. But my question is, how interested is the board of directors in expanding that far east? I mean, Dallas is 804 miles from Boulder and 1,059 miles from Tempe. Like, that's the two closest neighboring schools. Like, I'm interested in what's going to happen here as the conference likely will need to add inventory, and these two universities absolutely make sense here. Let's move over to the Big Ten. We, uh, we got a lot to talk about with them. Write my times down. Uh, the Big Ten has hired Turnkey a corporate recruiting service, to lead their search for a new conference commissioner. Now, I'm sure that a lot of you are saying, big whoop, Gary, who cares? Uh, well, let me explain why this is a big deal. The Big Ten just had a search for a commissioner in 2018-2019, which ended in June of 2019 with them hiring Kevin Warren, the then-COO of the Minnesota Vikings. Now, the difference there was that they used the Corn Ferry search firm last time. So when I spoke about whether or not the school presidents in the Big Ten would be upset with Warren for leaving to go back to the NFL so quickly, or if they would try and do something different this time uh, to find somebody that's actually going to stick around longer than three years, well, to me, choosing a different search firm is certainly noticeable. Turnkey was contracted by the NCAA to find and hire the replacement for outgoing President Mark Emmert, and they found outgoing Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. But here's the other interesting recall. This is the same search firm that was contracted for the recent commissioner searches by the ACC, which netted former Northwestern AD Jim Phillips, the Big 12, which netted former Nets executive Brett Yormark, and the Pac-12, which netted former MGM executive George Klyovkov. Now, I love a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> you guys know this. And the idea that Jim Phillips took the ACC commissioner's job to work on relationships with ACC schools for the next time the Big Ten decides to expand... That's, that's nice and juicy for me. Phillips was an AD in the Big Ten before. He knows the landscape. Obviously, Turnkey uh, has worked with him in the past to get him the ACC job. But there are a ton of other options as well, like Mark Silverman, Fox Sports president who was just involved in the Big Ten media rights negotiations, uh, Gene Smith, the Ohio State AD, Jennifer Heppel, Patriot League commissioner and a Big Ten League office alum, along with plenty of others. Now, I'm extremely curious which direction this is actually going to go, uh, but man, you want to talk about some names that they could have in this job. Let, let's see what the Big Ten's got. Let's see what they got. All right. Moving along, this is an interesting one. A little bit of a preview. Uh, what are the best games for Week 0 and Week 1 for the 2023 season? Now, we're 208 days away from the kickoff of college football, so what do we have to look forward to? Now, there's still several conferences that have not announced schedules, 
But week zero and week one at this point should be pretty set in stone. So let's dive into it. We'll start with week zero. Navy versus Notre Dame in Dublin, Ireland. Now this was a 35-32 to game last year. Navy is now breaking in new head coach Brian Newberry, who was the D.C. for last year's team. This is also going to be former Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman's first game with the Irish. So a lot to look forward to there. Ohio and San Diego State. Now this one, of course, at Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. What will Ohio coach Tim Albin's team look like without star quarterback Curtis Rourke and with presumed starter C.J. Harris having a full offseason with the ones? Like we saw what they looked like without Rourke before, I'm curious now, as we head into this uh, into this Week Zero game, what he'll look like after having an entire offseason. That, that's what I'm curious about. San Diego State's offense uh, did look great in moments last year, but terrible in others. This is a fun G5 matchup to get things rolling in Week Zero. Now, we'll move on to Week 1. We'll start with honorable mentions, okay? South Alabama at Tulane. Both quarterbacks, Carter Bradley for uh, South Alabama, Michael Pratt for Tulane. They return for double-digit win G5 teams, so this could be a very interesting game. Florida at Utah. That's a big game in name, but Florida has some serious issues at quarterback and at offensive line. Uh, it's a big-time rebuilding year for Billy Napier and Bunch, and Utah gets their quarterback, Cam Rising, back. So that could be a bit of a mismatch. Fresno at Purdue. What does Jeff Tedford's team look like without quarterback Jake Hayner? And then what does Ryan Walters' first team at Purdue look like especially with new transfer quarterback Hudson Card and new offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. Uh, West Virginia at Penn State in Week 1. That's an old-school rivalry. Uh, and, of course, we are entering a season where West Virginia coach Neil Brown is going to be majorly on the hot seat uh, facing a Penn State team that is going to be a preseason darling. Uh, just be ready for it. Penn State's going to be top five in almost every poll. Uh, it's it's going to be nuts. Virginia versus Tennessee in Nashville. Again, this kind of a name game. This is Virginia's first game since the tragedy that ended their season early back in 2022. Uh, but still, it's a big season coming up for Tony Elliott. Uh, also for Tennessee, I mean, what does Tennessee do in year three under Josh Heupel? Uh, what is Joe Milton going to look like? Uh, will he even start, or are we going to see Nico early? I mean, there's a lot of questions around Tennessee right now. Coastal Carolina at UCLA. Now, that likely would have been a much more fun matchup to see Jamie Chadwell and Chip Kelly's offenses going at it with those putrid defenses in 2022. But we still got Grayson McCall. We still got the wide receiver Sam Pinckney for the shots. And UCLA should still be good even without DTR. Uh, let's start here. Let's, let's do our countdown. Number five here, UTSA at Houston. You got a new AAC member against a new Big 12 member. Uh, Frank Harris, the quarterback, returns for the Roadrunners and Coach Jeff Trailer. Uh, but what do the Cougars look like in Dana Holgerson's first season at Houston without quarterback Clayton Toon? Now, we'll move on to number four here, Nebraska at Minnesota. Matt Rule's first Big Ten test comes in week one at P.J. Flex Gophers. Now, does Rule make an immediate impact with all the transfers he's bringing in? What does Minnesota look like without their super senior leaders like uh, the quarterback Tanner Morgan, running back Ibrahim? Uh, we'll move on to number three now. Colorado at TCU. Deion Sanders' first game with the Buffs. TCU's encore performance after making the national championship game last season. Both teams are going to look completely different than a season ago as TCU is going to be without their three-headed offensive monster of Max Duggan, Johnston, and Miller. And Colorado is bringing in more talent than they've had in Boulder in quite some time. Number two, North Carolina at South Carolina in Charlotte. Drake May against Spencer Rattler. I mean, that's enough said, right? But I, I will say more. This pairs two teams 
that made, we'll say, interesting offensive coordinator hires this offseason. North Carolina with former Troy head coach and Gus Malzahn offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey and the Gamecocks with former Arkansas tight end coach Dowell Loggins. Now, I'm curious what either team is going to look like this season on this one. And the number one, of course, uh, it's the Sunday game, LSU at Florida State in Orlando. It's a battle of top ten teams, possibly top five teams. Both return stud quarterbacks. Both won ten games last season. Uh, you got Mike Norvell against Brian Kelly. That, that coaching matchup should be incredibly interesting. That's going to be your highlight of week one. That is LSU and Florida State is where it is at. All right. Let's move along. We got a couple more news items to uh, to hit. Let's uh, let's write down the time here. Da, da, da. I, I sometimes get ahead of myself on some of this stuff. <laughs> Just insane. According to an article by Keith Farner at SaturdayTradition.com, the Michigan State players involved in the post-game tunnel fracas are set to have their misdemeanor assault charges dropped. Now, the players, defensive ends Tank Brown and Brandon Wright along with defensive backs Angelo Gross and Justin White, entered into a pre-plea diversionary program on Friday morning in Ann Arbor's 15th District Court per MLive. Uh, the players were captured on video striking Michigan defensive back uh, Jaden McBurrows after a 29-7 loss at Michigan. Their representation released this statement. Uh, the result here for our clients is a no-brainer because this case will be dismissed, said Wade Fink, who is Brown's lawyer. Uh, in order to get a dismissal, they're being asked to do things that they would already do, charity and be in the community and be great citizens, which they already are. None of these kids are guilty of anything, and if it was a situation where we couldn't earn a dismissal for basically what we do anyway, then we would have fought it. The splits are, This splits the difference here of getting out there and doing some good things in the world and also earning a dismissal without ever having to admit something they didn't do. Uh, and after issues with Penn State and, and later with Michigan State, Michigan is finally adjusting the width of the tunnel in the big house, which will hopefully curb some of these issues that the Wolverines dealt with this season. And so, nice to uh, nice to see those guys getting out of there. I thought it was a little ridiculous that charges were brought, but hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. Let's uh, let's stay in the Big Ten. Former Buckeye linebacker James Laurinaitis is returning to Ohio State as a defensive graduate assistant after spending last season in the same role at Notre Dame. Now he's going to serve as an assistant linebackers coach, filling the role he held last season. Um, excuse me, I, I guess it'd be filling the role held by uh, Coy McFarland, who is now the linebackers coach at Tulsa. In a release by Ohio State Ryan Day, uh, he said, I am thrilled for our program and especially for our current and former Buckeyes who will benefit so much from having James on staff. James is a terrific young man uh, with wisdom as a Buckeye and experience as an eight-year NFL veteran. He's going to be a very important part of our program going forward. Laurinaitis was a three-time All-American in Columbus, previously worked in broadcasting for 97.1 The Fan and the Big Ten Network before beginning his coaching career at Notre Dame last year. All right, now we've still got conference reviews for the MAC and CUSA, along with more coaching news, etc. But that's all coming up right after this. Let's check out some things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, and you can follow Gary at Gary WCE. You can also follow on Facebook. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. 
subscribe on YouTube to get not only full Winning Cures Everything shows, but individual segments and other goodies as well. We're over 6,000 subscribers, and our goal by the end of the year is 7,500. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com, and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right, let's move right along here. Uh, let's, let's talk about Michigan. We spoke about former Michigan co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Matt Weiss on Friday's show. Well, later on Friday, Michigan announced that they have promoted analyst Kurt Campbell to quarterbacks coach. Now, Campbell served as an offensive analyst at Michigan in 2022, but was previously the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Old Dominion, where he spent the 2020 and 2021 seasons and was an offensive analyst at Penn State from 2017 through 2019, all with former Penn State offensive coordinator Ricky Ronnie. Uh, the move allows Michigan to retain some continuity in their staff as things have gone pretty well in Ann Arbor the last two seasons, if we want to be honest. And Campbell is now familiar with the culture around the program. Now, overall, pretty good move in my book. you got a guy that's got offense coordinator experience that also has experience in the Big Ten. Uh, I think this is a good move uh, bringing up somebody that was already inside the program. Pretty, pretty smart decision on that one. Uh, we'll move along. Deion Sanders. Made a little news last week. Uh, the Colorado coach, Deion Sanders, announced on his YouTube channel, The Pregame Show, last week, that former Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, who was a defensive analyst with him at Jackson State, and former Oregon, Florida State, and FAU coach Willie Taggart are both joining his coaching staff in Boulder, although uh, it's currently unknown what their roles are going to be. And i got to tell you, uh, the way that Sanders releases information is both refreshing and perplexing at the same time. Like, no other coach would just openly share this information without some kind of a press release from a school or something along those lines. It, it is certainly an odd way of going about announcing additions to the coaching staff, but I personally really enjoy it. I'm, I'm curious to see what these two are going to end up doing on the staff, whether they are just going to be analysts or if they're going to have bigger roles, etc. It, it's two pretty respected guys. I think, it, I think it makes a lot of sense. So we'll see what ends up going on with that. All right. We have – I don't know what is happening. Uh, if you guys can hear that, let me know. Let me know. Uh, let's move into the MAC Conference Review. Now, these are going to be kind of interesting. Uh, sound a little bit different than what we've been doing, but here we go. The MAC Conference Review for 2022 – Let's start off with this. The biggest storyline of the season ended up being Sean Lewis, the Kent State head coach, left for the offensive coordinator position at Colorado, and the MAC once again had no realignment issues. There was nothing really as far as schools moving into or out of the conference, anything along those lines. Like it, that is in and of itself a storyline to me. Now let's talk about games of the year. Uh, in week eight, I think. The, the best game of the season was Buffalo 34, Toledo 27. Uh, Toledo was up 27-7 to in this game, heading into the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, and ended up getting beat. Now, Buffalo, turns out, needed this one just to be able to make a bowl game, but what a fantastic game. Uh, I wrote down several others. Ball State 17, Central Michigan 16 in Week 6. Uh, Buffalo 24, Miami of Ohio 20 back in Week 5. 
Toledo 27-24 to over Eastern Michigan in Week 9. Uh, you had... You had some really crazy stuff. Uh, Miami, 18, Ball State, 17. And that was in the last week of the season. And that was for a bowl game. Like, you had some really, really good stuff uh, go on this season. Oh, the, the Bowling Green, 42-35, uh, to 35 went over Toledo in Week 12. I mean, the, the last second pass in the snow, that was fantastic. So, your games of the year, uh, right there. But to me, I think Buffalo 34, Toledo 27 was probably it. Uh, your craziest result. I had a few of these, most of them out of conference. But Bowling Green 34, Marshall 31 in Week 3, a week after Marshall went to Notre Dame and won that game, uh, pretty awesome. Eastern Michigan 30, Arizona State 21. This was still early in the season. Herm Edwards was still the coach at Arizona State. Uh, but Eastern Michigan got that win in Week 4. And uh, this one, Eastern Kentucky 59, Bowling Green 57 in four overtimes. That was in Week 2. Bowling Green lost to an FCS team and then went on the road and beat Marshall. I mean, how, how mind-blowing is this? Just, just nuts to think about. Uh, who was the most surprising good team? I got two of them written down here. Ohio. Ohio going 10-4 and this year was a bit shocking to me. Like, I could not believe that they did that after the season they had last year. Or I guess in 2021. Eastern Michigan going 9-4. and like, Chris Creighton winning nine games at Eastern Michigan is, I, I can't even describe that. I mean, that is that is next level. Uh, just amazing stuff. Uh, the most surprising bad teams this year, Northern Illinois went 3-9, and nine, Central Michigan went 4-8. and eight. I, I expected way better things. The MAC is bananas every single season. Like, it's it, these were two of the better teams, had a lot of people coming back. Uh, you really thought good things. Now, obviously, Northern Illinois – that was an issue because uh, Rocky uh, Lombardi, the quarterback, he was gone for most of the season due to injury. But still, three and nine, uh, a lot of that, you know, one score luck uh, ended up going against them this year. Uh, the biggest overachiever, Ohio. Ohio, by far, uh, they were nine and four on the season, uh, and as far as the regular season is concerned, they had six point eight six. Uh, actual like post-game win expectancy wins. Miami of Ohio is number two here. They went 6-6 six and six in the regular season. They had 4.71 post-game win expectancy wins there. So uh, they should have likely been a full win less and, and closer to two. Uh, Ohio should have been at seven wins. That is what it is. Uh, and, and honestly, I mean, it could have been six. So uh, the biggest underachievers this year. No surprise here. Northern Illinois went three and nine, but postgame win expectancy said they should have had five point six six wins. Uh, Toledo was the other one. They went eight and five with a MAC, you know, conference championship game win, and they were supposed to have nine point six nine per postgame win expectancy. So really, should have been closer to ten and three as opposed to eight and five. And yet the Jason Candle thing just rolls on, rolls on. Who was the best? Uh, I say best first-year coach. Who is the best early tenure coach in this league right now? Uh, Joe Moorhead had Akron competitive at the end of the season. That is a big, big deal. They blew out Northern Illinois towards the end of the season, and then conference championship game weekend, they nearly beat Buffalo in Buffalo with Buffalo trying to get to a bowl game. 
Pretty insane. Joe Moorhead did a good job. I also wrote down uh, Tim Alvin at Ohio. Uh, it's his second year, but his first real one where he actually had like an offseason and everything. So that's a pretty big deal. Uh, which coaches ended up getting fired? Tim Lester at Western Michigan. I don't necessarily agree with it, but he had been there for a while. So, okay. And then Sean Lewis left. He didn't get fired, uh, but he left Kent State, and he is going to be the offensive coordinator for Coach Prime himself. Uh, which coaches are in trouble heading into this season? Thomas Hammock at Northern Illinois, possibly. Uh, you can't have a repeat of 3-9 again. Uh, not after the way that the first two seasons went at, at Northern Illinois. Uh, Central Michigan's Jim McElwain, there were rumors about him possibly retiring. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening there. And even though they just won the conference championship, it, Toledo's Jason Candle. I mean, it just continues to be a... They continue to lose games that they shouldn't be losing. They have significantly more talented players than the majority of this conference. And on top of that, when you see post-game win expectancy numbers like 9.69 and you only get eight wins out of that, it's kind of an issue. So maybe it is coaching. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening with those three schools, Northern Illinois, Central Michigan, and Toledo heading into next season. All right. Let's move into our Conference USA review. And I am excited. The review of the 2022 Conference USA season. This was this was a fun conference. Uh, this was the last year as it is currently constructed. You've got a ton of teams moving out, a bunch of teams moving in now. Uh, FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, UAB, UTSA, and Rice are all moving to the American Athletic Conference. And this season... You've got Jacksonville State, Sam Houston State, Liberty, and New Mexico State joining the conference. So you're up to nine members now. Uh, And next year, you're adding Kennesaw State from the FCS ranks. So this conference is going to look completely different. Like, not even close to what it was. Uh, Let's talk about the games of the year. UTSA 31, North Texas 27. Now, this was back in week seven. This, to me, was the game of the year. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Like, this was this was an awesome game. Uh, two last-second touchdowns, or last-minute touchdowns, a UTSA winning at home. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. I also wrote down UTSA 31, Western Kentucky 28 back in Week 6. Uh, Western Kentucky 20, UAB 17 in Week 7. That was a weeknight game uh, where UAB's Dylan Hopkins in, uh, got injured in that game. So Jacob Zeno had to come in. Turnovers were... A mess for UAB, not only in that game, but basically all season. But uh, UTSA 44, UAB 38 in double overtime. That was in week 10. Uh, then you had, this is the last one I wrote down. This was the last game of the regular season. Western Kentucky 32, FAU 31 in overtime in week 13. You want to talk about awesome. That was, that was a hell of a game. Absolutely incredible game. Uh, which games were the craziest results in Conference USA this year? It's it's tough when you got so many you know pretty evenly matched teams to figure it out, but and that's why we have some of these non conference games, right? The first one in week four, Middle Tennessee beat Miami, forty five to thirty one, and they threw haymakers on the Hurricanes. Like Mario Cristobal being there didn't matter at all. It was a train wreck because Miami's secondary could not stop Middle Tennessee at all. Uh, 
In week four, again, same week, UTEP beat Boise State. That's right, the same Boise that ended up with 10 wins this year. Uh, they beat Boise 27-10. to 10. Now, that, of course, spurred uh, the offense coordinator being fired at Boise. Dirk Cutter coming in. They changed quarterbacks. It was like this whole thing. Uh, but UTEP, big win over Boise and still didn't make a bowl game. Finally, in week five, uh, Rice, 28, UAB, 24. That was a crazy result to me. I know that Rice made it to a bowl game this year, thanks APR, obviously. But that was surprising. Like, that game alone might have been the reason why Brian Vincent didn't get the job. Uh, just just ridiculous to lose to food. No offense, Rice. <laughs> I'm just messing with you guys. Uh, the most surprising good team this year, uh, Western Kentucky. Like, rebounding to 8-5 and five after they lost their entire offense. Like, they, they lost their offensive coordinator. They lost Bailey Zappi, or Zapp, or however you say his last name. Uh, they lost him to the NFL. They lost a bunch of transfer wide receivers, etc. Offensive linemen, da-da-da-da-da. They brought in Austin Reed from a D2 school. Like, I don't know how they were able to get to 8-5. and five. But they, I mean, they were insanely competitive. And then, of course, to go out and beat South Alabama in the New Orleans Bowl. Like, that that team, the, the job that Tyson Hilton has done with that bunch. I mean, awesome. Awesome job at Western Kentucky. Uh, the most surprising bad team this year, Florida Atlantic. Now, maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but they went 5-7. and seven. Uh, They could never figure things out, not only on offense, but just anything with Willie Taggart. It, it's mind-blowing to see the rocket ship that Taggart was on when he took that Oregon job. And then when he got the Florida State job, it was like, yep, that's a fit. That That's perfect. And it just didn't work. I, I don't know what to say about it. Uh, the biggest overachiever, as far as postgame win expectancy this year, UTSA, who went 11-2 and through conference championship weekend. Uh, their postgame win expectancy had them winning 8.93 games. So really should have likely been 9-4. and uh, but found a way to win some some closer games that maybe they shouldn't have. So a 9-4 team that ends up going 11-2, not bad. Good job by Jeff Trailer. Uh, FIU, Mike McIntyre. Yes, I understand. They only went 4-8. and eight. But to go 4-8, and eight, they had 2.48 postgame win expectancy wins. That's That's crazy. They were only expected to win like two games. They won four. I think that's a pretty good building block for uh, for Mike McIntyre and bunch. Uh, the biggest underachievers. I have a feeling you already know two of them. Uh, well, the two that I'm gonna that I'm gonna t- tell you about. Uh, UAB went six and six this year. Uh, they, of course, responded to that by going out and hiring Trent Dilfer instead of keeping Bill Clark's offensive coordinator around, uh, Brian Vincent. They should have had eight point three seven wins uh, at least per post game win expectancy. So. Probably should have been eight and four. Ended up going six and six. There were injuries. There were turnover issues. It was a whole mess of problems that UAB encountered this season. But yeah, yeah, UAB. That's a that's a big one. Uh, FAU is the other one. Went five and seven. We already talked about Taggart. Uh, their post game win expectancy was seven point oh two. So they they should have had basically seven wins this year, and they just lost two of them outright. A little strange. 
The best first-year coach, I'm going to go with Mike McIntyre. Uh, excuse me, FIU went 4-8 and eight. again. Way, way, way. Not what was expected there. Um, coaches that were fired. Seth Luttrell at North Texas. They made the conference title game, and he still gets let go. Now, he had been there for a long, long time. Uh, Luttrell is probably going to, I say probably, he'll likely be hired on somewhere. I don't know where yet. I really thought it would have happened by now, but uh, but we'll see. Will Healy at Charlotte, uh, he was let go. Willie Taggart at FAU, he was let go as well. Uh, coaches that could be in trouble heading into next season. Rice went 5-7. and seven. Another losing season for Mike Bloomgren. Uh they, of course, got the bowl loss, so 5-8. and eight. At some point, I mean, they're heading into the AAC. At some point, you have to show some kind of proof of concept. Like, yes, Rice is better right now than they've been, but it really depends on what the administration wants out of this. Do they want to actually be good at football? Mm, we'll see. Uh, It may not matter all that much, but if it didn't matter at all, they probably would have stayed in CUSA. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. But uh, Rice could be be in some trouble. I'm curious where Will Healy is going to end up. Uh, That's going to be a very interesting one going forward. Uh, Taggart, of course, going to Colorado. Sillatrell and Will Healy, both probably good assistant coach options. Uh, But again, a lot of stuff doesn't happen until after... National Signing Day. All right, that is going to wrap things up for this edition of Winning Cures Everything. Wednesday, again, is signing day, so we'll discuss any surprises probably on Thursday. Uh, the Pac-12 is meeting this afternoon, by the way, a- after the show, to discuss media rights negotiations, the conference's financial outlook, matters involving the Pac-12 networks, uh, possibly expansion, and more. Uh, all of it could be pretty juicy after the Comcast overpayment scandal, if we're, if we're being honest. Uh, if anything happens of note, like I'm probably going to hop back in here to discuss it. Now, as always, if there's something that you want me to talk about on the show, feel free to hit me up at GaryWCE on Twitter, or you can even email me, Gary at winningcureseverything.com. Now, until next time, take care of yourself, take care of each other, God bless college football, and hopefully, hopefully, all your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.